every beat of our heart, Lord. Thank you for the fact that in you we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we have the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you bless tonight. Thank you for Warren. Thank you for this study on the kingdom of God. And I pray that you just strengthen him and uh, speak through him tonight. Open our hearts, our minds as we learn and as we grow. Father, um, I pray for each one in this room. I pray for every need that, um, uh, that is in this room. There are many. And Lord, there are many that only you can meet. And we're thankful, Lord, that you, you hear our prayer, you, you answer our prayer, that we can trust you in all things and that um, you're moving and working and uh, you are sovereign and you are in control and we can trust you without entire being. So, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the provision of grace that you have made for us in Jesus Christ, for those who have gone home, uh, who have experienced that provision um, and the reality of your grace. Lord, we praise you for that. Father, uh, we pray for all the activities, all the studies, all the rehearsals that are going on on campus this evening. Bless them. May your presence be sensed and felt in an awesome way. And uh, Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you for a place that the gospel is proclaimed, where uh, we have the wonderful fellowship, where we are challenged in the word of God, where we can come to you in prayer. And Lord, uh, where we can be filled to overflowing and share the good news of Jesus with those around us. So Lord, bless tonight. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jody, I'm, is this on? Is it, it, it is okay. Uh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know till just now about your brother. I know. I already would have reached out to you. I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that. I didn't even know he'd been ill. Okay, praying for you. Jody's been a <clears throat> very, very dear friend for a long time, even when he was my boss uh, at First Baptist Dallas many, many, many years ago. And uh, I just have always loved this family, and so please know that we'll be praying for you. I guess the service will be this week, okay, on Saturday, absolutely. We'll continue to lift them up. It's good to see each of you tonight. Uh, this will conclude our three-week series on the kingdom, and I thought before we would go on, I realize some of you, this is your first time here. Y'all, y'all forgive me. I don't know why I'm not comfortable with this thing right now. It's just, I, I realize... Uh, it just is, it's, it's not the sound, it's just, it's bugging me, I don't know why. Anyway, the point is, what I want to do, I want to take a few minutes, and I wanted us to do some background, and in terms of our study of the kingdom. So, somebody that's been here the last couple of weeks, help me to understand what is one thing about the kingdom that you have come to realize just in the last couple of weeks. You can get out your notes, it's okay to get your cheats cheat sheet out, but uh, let's talk about it, and then we'll jump into part number three. But somebody give me, what is one of the things that you feel like over the last couple of weeks that you've learned about the kingdom? In other words, if someone said, what is the kingdom, do you feel like you could give them a good answer? Okay, this is going to be a really long evening if I ask you questions. George, you think you could? Okay. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Remember, Jesus mentions the church once. He talks about the kingdom roughly 100 times. Is the church important? Of course. But is the kingdom much more important? Yes. The church is a part of something much bigger than herself, than, than herself which is advancing the kingdom. Somebody else, what's one thing that, has, that you realize that maybe you didn't know or you need to be reminded of in terms of the kingdom? Okay, the whole cruise ship battleship. I have probably had more people talk with me about the cruise ship battleship than probably anything else that we've talked about. Yes, that a church has to make a distinction. Are we going to be a cruise ship designed for our pleasure or are we a cruise a battleship designed for war? And I think every church has to make that decision. And ladies and gentlemen, you would think that every church is a battleship, but I've been in enough churches to know that's just not the case. There are a lot of churches that are very much on cruise and very much happy being on cruise. And they're dying. I told you the other day, I mean, it's, uh, 
almost right at 60% of churches in this country are either declining or stagnant, and only 9% of them are stagnant. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it is that many churches are on cruise, so thank you. All right, somebody else, Kingdom. Okay, the making of disciples is about making disciples of the entire world. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. The importance of intercessory prayer. No doubt about it. And, and I hope we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but that we talked about that at length last week. The importance of intercessory prayer. Yes. Remember one of the reasons why that the Jewish people rejected Jesus is that they believed they were getting a military Messiah. All the Old Testament prophets prophesied of a military Messiah. Now, it's not that they were wrong. It's just that that kind of Messiah is not going to show up until his second coming. So if you remember, I said his first coming is about starting the fight. The second coming is about finishing the fight. You remember that? So that's very important. The kingdom, simply put, are people living on earth under the realm and rule of God's authority. Remember, I said week one that there are two realms. There is a heavenly realm. There is an earthly realm. The governing principle in the heavenly realm is the principle of God's authority. The governing principle in the earthly realm is the principle of Satan's rebellion. So the kingdom age, which is the church age... I said that there's another term for the kingdom age and the church age. Does anybody remember what that is? Age of? Yes, the age of mercy. This is a mercy age for the church. It's a mercy age for people living in the world who are yet to make decisions for Christ. So please understand that we are living in between that first and second coming. This is the kingdom age. And so when we talk about the kingdom, very much in a nutshell, it is people on earth living under the rule and reign of God as they do in heaven. Is that happening right now all around the world? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we do believe that the church plays a very critical role. There are three things that Jesus said about the church. What's the first thing? What's one of the three things Jesus said about the church? You remember? pretty important that you get this, you understand this, three things he said about this place that you are a part of tonight on a very cold Wednesday night. He said, number one, I'm going to build her. The, 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 the building of any church is the work of the Lord Jesus. Number two, he said the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And then he said, I'm going to give her the mysteries of the keys of the kingdom. Jesus spoke a lot in parables because the world did not understand the kingdom. Why is that? Because many people in that first century were not members of the kingdom. Remember, the church is a baby kingdom life center. That's what she is. She is a little outpost of light in a great domain of darkness. So I hope that that makes sense. Anything else that, that, you, you know, that stood out to you? Um, in terms of the study, but through the life and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus, there was a transfer. Uh, there was a transfer in authority. There was a transfer in sovereignty. Now, we know that Jesus has always been sovereign over Satan. I'm not saying that he's not always been because he has always been. But please understand that by his death and by his resurrection, this was established in history for all time. It's very important to note that. So after the cross and after the resurrection, Jesus makes a very profound statement in Matthew chapter 28, 18. So if you'll turn over there with me to Matthew 28, 18. All right, somebody read that for me if you found it. Matthew 28, verse 18. Okay, go ahead. Absolutely. Okay, 
So do you understand that Jesus did not make that statement until what two things happened first? The cross and resurrection. Cross and resurrection. Now, this little phrase that he uses here has been given, I think is significant because it denotes a very specific point in time. So after the cross, after the resurrection, during that specific point in time, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. In other words, it is the resurrection that marked the acceptance of, of his work by his father. The resurrection is what marked acceptance by his father of his work. Now, please know that the Old Testament saints believed that the coming kingdom was going to come by way of a sword, right? Even John the Baptist, who technically is the last of the Old Testament prophets, did not even fully understand initially that Jesus was the Messiah. And you know what's sad to me? I was just thinking about John the Baptist. I was looking at this today. John the Baptist never lived to hear Jesus say, no greater man has ever lived. Never heard it because he was beheaded. So John the Baptist even had to find his disciples to ask, are you the guy? Or are we supposed to look for somebody else? Because even John was greatly influenced by the book of Malachi, believing that God's, the Messiah's first coming would be as a vengeful God. So understand, and I think this is significant, even though none of us probably would have understood this first century, the coming Messiah came not with a sword, but he came to suffer. The sword's coming, but his first coming was in suffering. And that was a very, very difficult concept. Yes, Isaiah, many other prophets had talked about a suffering Messiah, but isn't it, even today, it's hard to get our brains around the concept of a suffering Messiah. So, after the resurrection, Satan's power was broken. Remember, in Jesus' first coming, the power of Satan was destroyed. In his second coming, it will be the works of Satan that's destroyed. Do you see this? The first coming, his power was destroyed. His second coming, his works will be destroyed. And that's very, very important to remember that. So after the resurrection, his power over humanity was broken. And this little pseudo-kingdom that he thought that he reigned in was really relished to or reduced to a domain. Now, for whatever reason, we don't understand fully why God has allowed Satan to not already be thrown into hell. We, we don't fully understand that. We don't know why God allows him to maneuver on planet Earth. We also don't know exactly what kind of power he possesses and how exactly he's able to exercise that power. The Bible is not very clear on a lot of questions that I would like to, to know about the power of Satan. We just know that he's extremely powerful, and we do know that he is very much alive and at work wreak, attempting to wreak havoc on the kingdom of God. It's like a dying saint once said, even on the brink of Jordan, I still find Satan nibbling at my heels. So if you think you're ever going to get to a point in time in your life that Satan's not going to be nibbling at your heels, you need to ask yourself the question, why is he no longer nibbling at my heels? Because you don't oppose somebody you walk with. It's just food for thought. So understand that his power over humanity had been broken. Those are clear. But it also is very clear from Scripture that the kingdom of God, I think this is significant, absorbed the full wrath of Satan's might. And it not only survived it, but it thrived in it. The kingdom of God, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, has already experienced its darkest night. The kingdom of God will never experience another night as it did during the crucifixion of Jesus. 
hell through the kingdom, everything but the kitchen sink. And the kingdom of God withstood. The most repulsive evil that has ever been committed found its absolute limit at Calvary. You stop and think about that. The most repulsive evil in all of history found its absolute limit in Calvary. And it was at Calvary that Satan and all of his demonic forces choked on their own venom. What they thought would be victory for them turned out to be their worst 10 minutes. Now, I know that even though that's true, there's still a lot of conflict in the world. And I've heard people say, well, if really God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world today? As though evil in the world today is God's problem. That's always struck me as a really stupid question. If God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world? And, and I've asked people before, I, I, I've said, it's like questioning whether or not soap exists because there's so many dirty people in the world. You can look at all the dirty people and someone might say, well, I don't, there's so many dirty people, does soap really exist? But soap just like truth has to be applied, correct? And so I understand people's question. I, I wonder sometimes if their questions are legitimate, but one question I think that is legitimate is if God is truly one, then why do so many battles exist? One of the things that I have always been a huge fan of, and I always did better in school in this area than any other, is history. And I've always loved Texas history, and I've always loved American history. And I, I have a particular love for World War II, not, not um, the study of it. It was a horrific battle. And so what I want to try to do is, is to use a World War analogy to illustrate the kingdom, uh, which is easier than if I were to try to explain it to you. Um, during World War II, on June the 6th, 1944, the Allies hit the beach of Normandy. How many of you were alive during World War II and remember, you remember hearing about that? I was not even a twinkle in my mother's eye, so I don't, but I've read about it many times, and one of my great hopes, maybe even next year, is to get to go to Normandy. It's always been a thing on my bucket list. But it was on that day, and this conflict took place, I believe, if, if I'm correct. I don't remember this exactly. I'm having to use my memory, which is very dangerous. I think it was a six-day conflict before everything was secured. But it was referred to as, and still is referred to, as D-Day. Does anybody know why it was referred to as D-Day? Well, it was referred to D-Day, which meant the day. It was the day. Now, why would it be referred to as the day? Well, statisticians, military statisticians and experts of the day would say that it was D-Day that ultimately secured victory for the Allies. Now, how many of you believe that after D-Day, bombs stopped dropping? Or bullets stopped firing? Or there were no more casualties? No, that didn't happen until v-day now as i was trying to confirm a few facts this week as i was studying i had forgotten that there really are two v-days anybody know the two v-days yeah there's a ve day which is victory in europe that took place in may of 1945 then there's a vj day which was over japan in august i believe of 1945 so understand if, if we're to look at the second coming in terms of world war ii Jesus' first coming was D-Day. Jesus' second coming will be V-Day. Does that make sense? I thought it would be easier to try to illustrate that to you than to attempt to explain it. In other words, yeah, the fighting's still going on. People are still dying. Satan still is attacking but D-Day is what provides for us the ability to walk in this kingdom age. And it ultimately is what will provide the victory for V-Day. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is a war. You're old enough to get that, right? It's a dadgum war. Sherry and I had no clue. We'll be married 41 years here in a couple of weeks, or a little over a week. We had no clue what life was going to throw at us 41 years ago. And I bet most of you would say the same thing about your life. It looks very different than what you thought it would look like at 17, right? At least mine has. <laughs> but the point is that even though life is war, and John Piper says it's not just war, it's war all the time. I think it's important to understand as children of God that the fight that we fight is not for victory, it's from victory. D-Day is what secured our potential victory. And it's what gives us the strength to be faithful to God until D-Day. Now, some of us may be there, some of us won't. I don't know. But I do know that one of those prepared the way for the other. The kingdom age is that age of conflict between those two comings. Now, apart from the gospel, we could beat the tomb that laid over our heads until we were blue or until it crumbled, but we still would have absolutely no power over death without the gospel. That's why the gospel is referred to as good news. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I've shared this once in big church uh, a long time ago, but, but the word gospel was a military term. It was not a biblical term initially. It was a military term. In those days when two, two armies would fight, let's just say this is Army A and this is Army B, there would be a rider that would sit on the hill and would watch the conflict. And so the rider of, of A would sit here and the rider for B would sit here, and they would watch the battle. And let's just say that A wins. The rider for Army B jumps on his horse, and he rides into the camp, and he screams this word, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, if you hear the rider scream, whoa, ladies, the man that's probably going to crawl in your tent that night is not your husband. And chances are your children are going to be taken slaves, molested, whatever. The reigning group army wants to do. But the rider for Army A jumps on, is on the horse, and rides into his camp screaming, Gospel. 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 Good news. Don't you believe that the reaction is very different from Team A than Team B? The gospel is that news because apart from that, um, we would still be living under the power of death. Our conqueror would still be conquering. I'm talking about Lucifer. But the empty tomb in Jerusalem was proof that he and death were defeated. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I, I realize that as we're thinking about the advancement of the kingdom, that there may be some Christians that say, well, you know what, Warren, aren't there places in the world that we can't take the gospel? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, somebody tell me one country that is very hard for North Americans to go to take the gospel. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks. Let's see if you remember. Where? China's one. North Korea. Yes. Russia. Yeah, parts. Yeah, Libya would be a very, very difficult country to get into. Um, but sometimes I, I, I hear people talk about all of these countries that we cannot get into, and sometimes I'm wondering if that's an excuse that the church gives for not being faithful to world evangelism. Because it's easier to say, well, look at all these countries we can't get into. Well, there may be some countries we can't get to by feet, but there's no country we cannot travel to on our knees. None. Not one single country that we cannot access on our knees. And so my concern 
is not the doors that we cannot open. My concern for the church are the doors that are open that the church chooses not to walk through. Did you hear me? We want to talk about the doors that are closed. No, I want to talk about the doors that are open that the church refuses to walk through. I think that is the biggest issue because when the church becomes faithful in taking the gospel to the doors that are open and the church is faithful in asking God to tear down these strongholds, then you know what I think, honestly? I do believe it's possible that we could see the end, the second return of Christ in our lifetime, that we could see the Great Commission fulfilled in our lifetime. I truly believe that. But we get hung up on terminology. And George Ladd made a great statement. He said, our responsibility is not to insist on defining terms, but rather completing the task. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining terms, but our responsibility in completing the task. How much do we have before the task is completed? That's asked by missionologists all over the world. And the answer is nobody knows that for sure. I will say this, we're much closer than any other generation's ever been. For instance, technology allows us to reach people today we've never been able to reach. Did you know that right now the Bible has been tra excuse me, translated into over 2,000 languages and dialects, at least a portion of it? I'm not saying full Bible, but at least a portion of the gospel has been translated. Well, that's unprecedented in the past. So we are seeing movement toward the fulfillment of the Great Commission. But really what encourages me more is that I, I'm, Warren Samuels is not responsible for saving the world. What Warren Samuels is responsible for taking the light of the gospel that I've been given and sharing it with as many people as I can in my lifetime. That is my responsibility. The, the whole burden and the weight of reaching the world is God's business. But God, for whatever reason, and which I think is a lousy plan, I don't know why God invited the church to be a part of that. I'm telling you, I would have picked, I, I have several other things of mine I could think would have been a better plan. But for whatever reason, God chose to use us. And I've told you, he's going to accomplish this. He'll do it with us or he'll do it without us. And if we choose not to join him in that, then guess what? He'll find another church and he'll just take his hand off one. You realize God can take his hand off a church just as quickly as he can put his hand on one church. And I've seen a lot of churches in my lifetime, 41 years. This coming year will be my 42nd year of ministry. I've seen a lot of churches that are, that are dead, absolutely dead. Now, they still meet. They sing songs, and, but they're dead because they have lost sight of the purpose for which they were created years and years ago. So in Matthew chapter 18, after Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, what is the next thing that he says here in 19 and 20? And I think this is significant. Don't, do you remember when your kids were small and you would drive them to school and you would say something to them before they got out of the car every day? Did any of you have sort of the same little spiel that you would say to your kids every day? I love you or you're special or did anybody do that when your kids were growing up? Y'all even, even remember? It's been for some of us a while. But do you remember little things you would say to your kids? Well, in our home, I would say, girls, I want you to remember today who you are and I want you to remember whose you are. Yes, you represent the Samuels family, but you represent a greater family, the family of God. Why do you think I left that with them as they got out of the car? Huh? Well, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yes, that's definitely right. It wasn't in the schools. Okay, hopefully it gave them confidence. Yes, absolutely. You would, I'd absolutely pray that that was the case with my girls. Yes. Isn't the last thing the parent tells their child before they leave is the thing they want them to remember all throughout the day? See, we weren't as big on grades in my household as we were on conduct. Does that make sense? I didn't get on my kids nearly as much about grades as I did their conduct. I want them to understand you are representing not only Sherry and me, but you're representing a much bigger family, the family of God. 
So Jesus says in 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. There is only one imperative in the Great Commission. Now, I know most of you in here probably know what it is, but somebody just tell me, what's the only imperative, what's a command, in the Great Commission? Y'all hear, I mean, there's just all kinds of uh, answers being given here. Let me, get, let me tell you what it's not. It's not going. It's not teaching. It's not baptizing, it's making disciples. And some of y'all said that. Some of y'all here said that, yes. The only imperative in the Great Commission is the making of disciples. Now, you can't make disciples if you're not going. I get that. And you also can't make disciples if you don't have converts, right? But understand the focus is not on converts, it's on disciple making. So here's the question, and I'm sharing this as graciously as I know how, but I want you each to think about this. Where, gentlemen, are your men? Ladies, where are your women? Where are the young men and the young women that you have and are pouring your life into that love the Lord, pursuing the Lord because of your influence in their life? One thing, Mark, Mark and I, and I don't think Mark, would, Mark, our pastor, would mind me sharing this with you. One of the things that we have talked about on many occasions, and I, I hope you understand this, and he said it to me, and if Mark had not said this to me, I wouldn't say anything to you. But I believe Mark has, uh, no, he does, I don't believe, he has an incredible love for senior adults in this church. And... Mark believes, though, that there probably are times that some of our senior adults are underutilized. Now, I don't know if that's our church's fault. I don't know if that's your fault. I'm not trying to put the blame on that. But I do know that you, even though as we get older, don't feel as good as we used to feel, have as much to offer as we ever have. Your life experience, what you have been through, is so valuable to younger people people and I just want to encourage you as you look at this text to to ask yourself the question who am I pouring my life into that is going to be carrying the banner of Jesus after I'm in heaven but I'll ask you something else too and I, I said this last week on another passage but I truly believe that if I were to take a pair of scissors and walk up to any of you that have a Bible and ask, could I cut these two verses out of your Bible, would say, of course not. No, you can't do that. That's dumb. But my question is, if you took it out of the Bible, would it change the way most churches did church? So tell me which is worse, to cut it out Does that make sense? Because don't ignoring it and cutting it out both lead to the same conclusion, that is that we do nothing. So one of the things that I pray is that God will help you to know who is someone in this church that I could begin pouring my life into. Now, many of you may be doing that now. I'm not saying you aren't. I'm just saying if you're not, understand the importance of it. Because how many of you realize that I probably have more ministry behind me than what is ahead of me? I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just saying I live with that urgency every single day. I don't always feel good when I go to L.A. or when I do a lot of the things that we do, but I understand I probably got more behind me than what's ahead of me. And many of you in this room do as well. So there's four little things I wanted to share when it comes to the advancement of the kingdom, four practical ways that we can join God in advancing kingdom. Number one, make the kingdom of God a high priority. 
How many of you would, would believe that you're more conscious of the kingdom of God tonight than you were three weeks ago? Well, I hope at least one or two of you would raise your hand. Okay, thank you. I've got seven. Great. That's great. Okay. All right. It's, it's something you're thinking about now more than you did three weeks ago. My life's verse, even though when I adopted this life's verse, it was probably 40, 42, around the time Sherry and I got married, uh, was Matthew 6, 33. Anybody know Matthew 6, 33 off the top of your head? It is my life's verse. And even though I didn't understand the kingdom, as I understand the kingdom today, and still there are a lot about the kingdom I don't get, but this was my life's verse, which is this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And I'm telling you, Sherry and I have not always had an easy life. Our life has been very difficult. Just like you, we have wept. We have pounded the pavement. I mean, it's, it's, it's not been chocolate Easter bunnies and rainbows. It's been hard. But I'm telling you, time and time and time and time again, as we have attempted by the grace of God to put the kingdom first, God has always worked everything out. Always. Now, I can't say it's always worked out the way we'd love to have it work out, but it's always worked out. And it's always worked out in a way that we were able, by his grace, to honor him and to glorify him in that so the kingdom has to be looked for it has to be searched it has to be desired number two this is a strange word um luke chapter 16 in fact i'm just gonna go ahead and read it real quick in luke chapter 16 verse 16 jesus makes a statement that mm, a lot of debate over exactly what he meant by that says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John since that time the gospel the kingdom has been preached and everyone is pressing into it so the second thing I want you to see that has to take place in our life is we have to press into the kingdom it's it's strange that there are only two times in the New Testament that this word is used biatso twice that's it it's used here in Luke and it's used in Matthew the only two times it's used. And so there's a lot of discussion as to what in the world does that word press into the kingdom mean? Well, I can tell you in secular Greek literature that this word is most often used in reference to an attack. An attack. Remember what Jesus said about the church. I'm going to build it. The gates of hell are not going to overcome it, right? See, sometimes as Christians, we get to thinking it's hell that's on the attack. But a gate denotes something that's stationary. It's the kingdom that's on the attack. You see, it is the Bible-preaching church that the kingdom that Satan's domain cannot stand against. It is the praying church that the domain of Satan cannot stand against. It's the missional living church that the domain of Satan cannot stand against. Never forget, ladies and gentlemen, that God had any other idea for the church except for it to be on the move. This is an action word. It's not a, hey, you know what, I'm 70 and we're going to let all the young folk do all the work. One of the things I love about our church, there's, there's a number of people in our church, older adults in our church, that have shown me that you can grow older without growing colder to the things of God. I want to be that. I want to be someone that as I grow older, keep by the grace of God from growing colder to the things of God. So the call here is for us not only to make the kingdom of God a priority, but to press in close to it. I love this quote by Jonathan Edwards. He said, we have to press in. Why do we have to press in? He says, because there has always opposition. 
if, if the door was wide open and, and, and there, there was no opposition, why would we need to press in? The reason we need to press in is because there is so much opposition. And then he goes on to say, and I love this, he said, we press in because outside of the kingdom, there is no refuge, there is no hiding place, there is no peace. You believe that? We press into the kingdom because it's the only safe place. Paul, three times in Ephesians, says, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Well, why would he tell a soldier there to stand firm? Well, he's telling us something, and it would go along with this verse. I remember growing up watching all of these uh, westerns, and particularly I love Calvary movies. And, and I remember this particular Calvary movie where there was an army uh, inside of the fort. And I noticed that in these movies that no soldier ever left the fort to chase the enemy into the woods. Because if he did, he wasn't going to be in any more of the movie. But do you understand why that they stood inside and fought? inside the fort because the fort was conquered ground. It was conquered ground. The only ground that is safe for us to stand in the fight from is the blood-bought ground of Calvary. That's where the kingdom is, and we've got to press in to it. It's the only safe place. And then he goes on. Then I would go on to say number three is to develop a worldwide vision for the kingdom. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, he said, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And it's smaller than all the other seeds, but it's full grown. It's larger than the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest. Then in verse 33, he said, The kingdom of God is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. You do understand the little blank there in undersea is a little bit of yeast can affect a lot of dough. Folks, I, I believe that if just this room got really serious about the kingdom and everything that we did, I think it would affect this entire church. Now, there's a lot of great yeast people who are not here. A lot of them are in choir. There are in other studies right now. I'm not saying you're the only yeast people in the church. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying what difference do you think would be effective in this church if just the people in this room got this? Somebody tell me, what, what do you think would happen? Okay, we'd grow, yes. What else? Disciples change the world. Yeah, disciples change the world, Absolutely. What? Yes. What, but what would happen if we were pressing into the kingdom? What do you think would happen with the church? You think anybody else would be led to press into the kingdom? I do. We don't talk about that phrase much. And I'm not talking about weird. We have plenty of weird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's so different that most people don't think about. Pressing into the kingdom. It's a terminology we don't use, but what would happen if we all began to really press into the kingdom? Yes. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Do you think it changed our priorities as a church? I do. I think it totally revolutionized our church. I said this to you all week one. What would happen if our various Sunday school classes would simply get say a laminated eight and a half by 11 and just put an unreached people group country on there and every week for a month that Sunday school class would pray for that country. Travel to that country on our needs. Or what if we got really serious about building relationships with one lost person that by the end of this year we would say, I want to tell them about Christ. What would happen if lost people got on our Sunday school prayer list to the same number as people who are physically ill were put on our prayer list? 
and you heard me say this last week, I'm not saying that we exclude praying for the sick. We're commanded to pray for the sick. But would you agree with me, most of the time, only physically ill people make the prayer list. Is that not true? When's the last time you saw a list of lost people on your Sunday school prayer list? Or when's the last time you prayed for an unreached people group? Again, I'm not trying to throw this out in terms of a guilt trip. I'm just trying to make us think that if some of us would start saying, you know what, our, church, our Sunday school class needs to be more kingdom-minded. When we play 42 or we have our volleyball tournaments or whatever it is you guys do, eat our chicken dinners, we're going to start trying to reach lost people. We're going to start trying to invite lost people. We're going to try to be faithful fill in the blank. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I cannot, there's a lot of very intelligent people in this room, and I think God would help us to figure that out, but I do believe that small amounts of yeast can affect entire doses of population, and so I want to encourage you to begin asking God to help you to develop a worldwide vision for the kingdom, and then number four in everything you do, keep Matthew 24, 14 in mind. Does anybody remember Matthew 24, 14 from last week? Now, if there is a verse I'm going to ask you, beg you, plead with you to memorize to the point that it becomes a daily part of your life, it's Matthew 24, 14. If you're going to be kingdom-minded, this is a verse that you have got to keep in mind every day of your life. What is it? What, would you read it for me? But the gospel is preached to all the nations. It's a testimony to some, and then the end will come. That's a promise. And I'm telling you, God is going to accomplish this, but he'll do it with Hunter's Glen, he'll do it without Hunter's Glen. The little blank down there is this, that God is not, and I said this two weeks ago, God is not forecasting that. What is God doing? Yes, one more time. What was it? He's backcasting that. What in the world does that mean? What that means is that everything God is doing today is with that end in mind. Everything 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 god is doing today is with matthew 24:14 that is the mission of the kingdom that the gospel is preached to all the nations well like i say i realize a lot of you don't have the strength anymore to get on a plane and fly to unreached people nations but doggone it we can get on our face before god and begin to beg god to lift up his name in countries where his name today is denied or defied and it may be our prayers that God uses to tear some of these strongholds down. That, and I'm even talking about, God, if there's rulers in the way, take them out. Either save them or take them out. Whatever it is you have to do to make your name famous in that country, that's what we're asking. That's kingdom praying. And I'm telling you, it would radical, radically change our church, I believe, if we began to pray like that. We have the authority. But unfortunately, most of us, it's about us and our children and our needs and our, and it's, it's a very narrow little bubble that usually consumes most of our prayer time. So my challenge is, I, I, I did this, I, I did this series not because I just needed something to do for three Wednesdays. I really did this because I think this is critical for the future of this church. I believe if God has said anything to me, it is how critical it is our church gets this. If we truly desire to be a kingdom advancement church, and I think that the majority of you that I know really want that in your own lives, but it's just not going to happen by osmosis. You realize that. It's going to be as we press in to the kingdom and understand that it is the only way to live until God one day takes us home. Does that make sense? Any quick comment?
Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. I agree. Do you have an answer? Yeah. Yeah. And and even in the places that we go, you know, sometimes I go through the same line at a checker just because I have a relationship with them just so I can talk to them. I had a mechanic who for 20 years was not a great mechanic. Sometimes I'd have to take my mechanic to another mechanic <laughs> after it would, but you know what? About year 10 in there, I led him to the Lord. But I, for years, went to go see him for the, for the purpose of really trying to build a relationship with him because I wanted to share the gospel with him. We've got to be intentional. That lady at the donut shop, even though I'm on keto, I, I haven't seen a donut shop in two months now, but that lady wherever, that works wherever, are we building relationships to give us an opportunity to present the gospel to them? Folks, God's bringing the world to us. Regardless of how you feel about immigration, the world's coming to us. And most of them will say no one from the states has ever taken time really to talk to us. And 90% have said we've never been invited to a home. Think about it. God's put this church here for a reason. And, and I believe it is more than simply to take up space on Custer. Don't you? And I really believe our best days can still be ahead. But we're going to have to get about our father's business. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we ask that uh, you would make us a kingdom people. Uh, may we never lose sight of our need to press in. God, please, we beg of you, give us that heart. Give us a mind that seeks you seeks the advancement of you in the very short amount of time that we have left. Help us every day, God, to live without regret because none of us know if we have tomorrow. And I pray this for one reason. I don't pray for the glory of Mark Howell. I don't pray for the glory of Hunter's Glen, but I pray this for the glory of our Savior, the one who bled and died who began the fight 2,000 years ago and at some point in time in the future will finish it. And for that, oh God, we are most grateful. And we pray that in his name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you all for coming.